Well, it's week five of our series, The Jesus Life, and it's five out of six weeks, so we're getting close to the end. Maybe it's a good time for us to pull over the side of the road and remember what caused us to start this series. You know, there are a lot of questions today that that the experts are asking about what is it that makes up a Christian or what comprises a Christian. There are those who mine statistics and they ask people, would you consider yourself a Christian? And here in the United States, probably somewhere 65, 70, 75% of Americans would say, yes, I consider myself a Christian. On the other hand, there are those who mine statistics from the other side of the equation, not just asking people, but looking at a set of core beliefs that Christians have, and then asking people if they have those beliefs. Well, when that's done, it drops to between 6 and 9% of Americans. But here's the deal. If we want to know what a Christian is, all we have to do is look at our book. Remember, we're saying that there's one book in the Bible that is kind of the cliff note version of the Christian life. It's called 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 2, we're looking at what the Bible says a Christian is, okay? This is in verse 6. Those who say that they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That's, that's where we got this title, the, the Jesus life. So in other words, if a person is really in God, he or she will show that by living the Jesus life. And we took three weeks and we talked about specifically what the Jesus life is. And we learned that from the book of 1 John, it's love. And we learned that love is more than just a sappy emotion. In fact, it's not an emotion at all. It's a decision. It's a choice to value God and value people. So the Jesus life is that. And anytime you follow Jesus, you will always go to love. If you're in a place today that's not loving, then you didn't follow Jesus there. There may be reasons why you went there, but you didn't follow Jesus there. For instance, if you're in anger today, you didn't follow Jesus there. If you're in racism, you didn't follow Jesus there. If you're in vengeance or envy, you didn't follow Jesus there. Because Jesus is always going to love, and if you follow him, you'll go to love. But now here's the challenge, because we just looked at a statement that said, everybody who says he or she lives in God should live their lives like Jesus lived. Now I have a problem on my hands, and it's the problem that we're going to approach today. Because when I look at my life, I would say, yes, I am a Jesus follower. And I do agree that I should live my life like Jesus did. But there's a pretty good-sized gap in between how Jesus lived his life and how Mark lives his life. And you may feel that too. By the way, let me just tackle something. I didn't say this in the other three services, so this is free, and you'll have gotten it for coming today at 1115. A lot of times people say they're hypocrites in the church. Now, here's the deal. If you're talking about a gap between what we believe is right and how we live, that's not hypocrisy. That's just life. Now, if I pretend to live a way I don't live, then that's hypocrisy. But the truth be told, I know there's a wonderful standard of what is good and what is right, but I, I fall short of that. So let's, t- let's take that for just a moment and let's explore this as a topic. What happens if I fail? I mean, I know that a person who believes in God should live as Jesus lived, but what if I fail? What if I come up short? Uh, there's a, you know, I'm an old guy, so all the music groups that I like, I like, I like some modern groups. It's just, I have some older groups that I like. And, and one of my favorite Christian groups was one of the first rap groups, or one of the first contemporary rap groups, Christian groups, and it's called DC Talk. And DC Talk had a project uh, called Jesus Freak, in which if I had a dollar for every time I've listened to that project, we could have built this nursery. But I love Jesus Freak and as a project, and there's a song in there that always gets to me, and the song lyric goes like this. What if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I lose my step and make fools of us all? Here's a great lyric. Will the love continue when the walk becomes a crawl? What if I stumble? What if I fall? Well, as we begin to explore this part of 1 John, what we're going to learn is that sin 
or failure is one of the main themes of 1 John. And so today, we're going we're gonna to deal with that question. What if I stumble? What if I fall? One more shot across the bow. As a, as a leader of a church, one of the things that really troubles me today is that we have a caricature of Christianity. It's just built on cliches. In fact, when I see some of the things that Christians post, it's so cliche-oriented that it just contains enough truth to be dangerous. And there is a feeling when it comes to sin that it goes like this. Well, nobody's perfect, and everybody fails, and God understands. Well, that's just got enough truth to be dangerous. Because what the Bible has to say about sin is a lot more important. Now, here's the reason why I say we need to mind deeper than that today. If all you have is, I'm, I fail, and I'm a sinner, and God loves me anyway, and so it's all cool, the problem with that is if you continue on in sin, it's going to continue to cause you pain and cause others pain. And beyond that, you're going to reach a breaking point and a crisis point. And if you don't have the promises of God at that moment to help you deal with the dysfunction that's clearly in your life and mine, we're not going to really be able to deal with this. So today, I'm just going to ask for your help. One more time, this is not a sermon. We're going to get on our horse and ride, and you're going to work with me because the important thing is not that you hear my message today. The important thing is that you own this material personally. And so, and, and I need the same thing. We're going to talk about it today. So here's the deal. Let's say you're asking the question, what if I fail? That's good. In fact, it reveals that you have a spiritual health in the fact that you would even ask the question. Let me show you a verse from 1 John chapter 1. Look at the fifth verse. The Bible says God is light. What is light? Light is truth. I mean, if you're in a dark place, you can't see what's reality. You can't see what's there. If the light comes on, then all of a sudden you're able to see what's there. You can see the door. You can see the bed. You can see the corner that you can stub your toe on. Light means reality. So the Bible is saying God is reality or God is truth. And there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. So scripture is teaching us here today, if you're even asking the question, what happens if I fall? That question, inherent in that question, is the understanding of the distinction between light and darkness. And you know the difference between light and darkness, and that's a very good thing. See, here's the deal. There could be a few people watching on television or watching online or even in our auditorium who could say, oh, I really don't care about this message today. I, mean, I really, I don't even know that I, I don't even know if there is such a thing as sin, and I don't think there's really anything wrong with me. You know what the issue is? You don't know light. All you've ever known is darkness. So consequently, you feel like darkness is the norm. But darkness is, darkness is painful. You know, I, I, I'm cautious about saying this, but just between you and me, I've done more funerals for suicides in late December and early January than any other time of the year. And I always worry about that time of year because the days are short and there's so much darkness. And I think there's something about darkness that's hard on us. I remember we, we, many years ago, we lost a young soldier to suicide. And beautiful, beautiful lady, beautiful lady, had a little one-year-old boy. And one, and one Sunday afternoon, she, she walked out and took her life. And the family called me, and I was there just probably 30 minutes or so after they found out. And I didn't know what to say. No one ever knows what to say in a moment like that. It's just so painful. But before I realized, I said, well, you know, this is such a hard time of year because of the darkness. And her mother said, that's a really interesting thing that you said that because she said the last thing she said 
when she walked out the door was she pointed to her little boy and said, don't let him play in the dark. You and I are living in a culture today that is playing in the dark. The reason why it feels that sin is normal is they've never seen light. They've never had the ability to know truth. And, and our hearts go out to them, and that's why we're talking about the Jesus life today. But all I'm saying is, if you're asking the question, what happens if I fail, it's a really, really good thing, because you're saying, I know there is truth, there is light, I don't live up to it, I know it's there, but what happens if I have a period or episodes of darkness in my life? All right, let's go to a very important verse now. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3 right now. And you guys know normally we use the New International Translation or New Living Translation here at New Spring. There are translations of the Bible. The Old Testament's written in Hebrew. It wasn't written in English. The New Testament's written in Greek, some Aramaic. So we, we depend on these translations. There is one translation that kind of is a sort of running translation commentary that's a real important Bible study tool, and it's called the Amplified Version. The Amplified Version is important because a lot of the verses that come to us, they're hard to translate into English. And so consequently, the Amplified will, will embellish the words so that we'll have a full understanding. This verse is so big, I want you to take a look at it in the Amplified. Here we go. No one who abides in him, who remains in communion with and in obedience to him, deliberately, knowingly, and habitually commits or practices sin. No one who habitually sins has either seen or known him. That means to have recognized him, perceived him, or understood him, or has had an experiential relationship with him. So the Bible is saying, look, anyone who's truly born of God cannot deliberately, continually, habitually make a practice of sin. Now, before we all freak out at that verse, because we all have habits that we're working on, let me let you know that this book puts kind of an asterisk by that and takes us a little further, and it goes like this. The reason why you cannot continually, habitually, deliberately make a practice of sin is because when you accepted Christ, God came to live inside of you. So there are several things that are going on that keep you from living that out unchanged. One of them simply is this. The Bible speaks that when you accept Jesus Christ, there is a process that begins at that moment. And God is gently and slowly and deliberately bringing you closer and closer to Christ. Here's the deal. Many of you today, you've followed Jesus for a little while. You still have a lot of issues and habits in your life that you're working on, but you're making progress. And what you might not realize is that God is helping you make that progress. Even stuff like coming to New Spring and hearing talks, just as you read the Bible, you feel yourself growing. Do you have a long way to go? Yeah. Sometimes the more progress you make, the more you feel like you have a long way to go because you just get closer and closer and closer to the light. So one of the reasons why a follower of God does not continually, habitually, deliberately practice sin is that God is gently bringing us into a closer, closer relationship and experience with God. Now, here's another thing. If, if I don't get it, and sometimes I can be really slow to get it, the Bible tells us that God will do something called chastening. What that simply means is, let's just, every parent understands this. It just means that, like President Reagan used to say, if, if they can't see the light, they'll feel the heat. And, and so what God is saying is, Mark, if you, if you won't get it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let your negative behavior, I'm going to let your sinful behavior bring negative consequences so that you'll connect the dots and learn. Now, that's what happens too, because if, if we just refuse to learn and we continually go on in our Christian life and, and we don't change, then God will say, okay, I'm going to let you feel the pain of your conduct. 
Now, this is an extreme, and I've only seen this probably in two or three situations in all my 41 years of pastoring. But in 1 John chapter 5, the Bible says there is a sin unto death. In which basically God is like, I cannot get your attention. You probably, you probably were so good in elementary school, you never had this problem. But when I was a kid growing up, I could act out and get into trouble. And so there were times when the teacher would say to me, Mark, just pull your desk up here beside mine where I can keep an eye on you. And that's what God is saying with the sin and the death. I cannot get your attention. I'm just going to bring you on to heaven where I can keep an eye on you right here. So here's the deal. When the Bible says whoever is born of God does not continually, habitually, deliberately practice sin, God is saying one way or another that's going to be true because God is inside of you. So with that in mind, let's talk about sin for a moment. If you've tried to read the Bible, my guess is that you've come across three words somewhere along the line that are like three different helpful definitions of what sin is. This is really, really important. I know it may be dry, but just hang with me for a moment. It's really big. First word is sin. Sin just simply means to miss the mark. It's sort of a catch-all generic term. It means to come up short. In other words, God has expectations. We don't meet them. That's what sin is. It's just this big bucket that is anything wrong, any kind of wrong behavior, wrong attitudes in our life. We miss the mark. We miss the target. Years ago, there was a cartoon called Peanuts, and the Charlie Brown character was shooting arrows at a fence, and the arrows would lodge in the fence. And when they would lodge in the fence, Charlie Brown would draw a target around the arrow. And Linus said, I don't think that's the idea, Charlie Brown. He said, yeah, but it sure is easier to hit the target that way. Well, that's what sin is. Sin means I shoot the arrows, and that determines the target. And we have that in our culture today, don't we? That's what people feel like. If this is what I think, if this is what I feel, then it must be true for me. Then the second word uh, is the word uh, transgression. You probably have come across that word. Now, the transgression word is really interesting because it's two Greek words butted together. The first word means to get off the path, and the second word means to cross the line. Hey, God is a genius. He knows exactly the word to say because here's the deal. We all know people who step across the line, don't we? And sometimes it leaves us scratching our heads. I thought that person was a Christ follower. I thought he was a pastor. I thought he was a leader. Why did he step across the line? You know, I've seen this true as a pastor, but not only do I lead here, I have the opportunity to help Christian organizations and, and, and large churches. And several times I've been called in to help a large Christian organization or church when their leader got into sin, scandal. You know what I've discovered when I've traveled there and I've started talking to that leader to help him navigate the future? Almost on every occasion, that leader will want to tell me a story that goes something like this. I was just living for God. I was just pastoring. I was just doing the work. And out of nowhere came this, listen, if you believe that, I got some oceanfront property in Nevada I want to sell you. No, it happens just like the word transgression says. Anytime we step across the line, you can always trace it back to, I got off the path. See, that's the problem with getting off the path. It doesn't make the newspapers. We just quit going to church as much. We just quit reading our Bible. We just quit praying. We just quit thinking about what's going on in our lives. We just sort of like put it on cruise. And the Bible says that's what transgression is. We get off the path and then we wind up stepping across the line. And then the third word is iniquity, which just simply means lawlessness. It means I make up my own rules. I, I, don't, I just do what I want to do. Now, when the Bible talks about sin, it's always talking about those three things. I either miss the mark, I, don't, I come up short, I get off the path, and I step across the line. 
I just live my life the way I want to live my life. You know what's weird about this? If we were to move this away from the spiritual and start talking about employment or jobs, we'd, we'd have this in a heartbeat. Those are the three things that'll get you in trouble at work, right? You know, here's, here's a boss, and, and she calls in a guy, and she says to him, you know what, when you came here, you know, you got a JD, you got a job description, you knew what we expected of you, but you're just not performing up to what we expect. That's what sin is. On the other hand, that same boss calls in a guy and she says to him, you knew what your job was, you knew what you were supposed to be doing here, but somewhere along the line, you got off the path and you begin to think that your job here was being a predator and you stepped across the line and you started harassing a female here and goodbye, you're gone. Or we know what the third one is. Here's that boss calling somebody in and she says, hey, you know, when you got here, we gave you an SOP manual. We gave you an employee manual. You knew what was expected. But instead of coming in at 8 o'clock, you come in at 1045, 10, 1130. You come in when you want to come in. You leave when you want to leave. You do what you want to do. And I'm sorry, we're just not going to pay you for that. You see what I'm saying? You take all those three concepts and you put them into a, you know, a secular sense and they make perfectly good sense. But that is God's problem with Mark. Because when there is sin in my life, I'm not doing what God expected, and I'm, I'm off the path, and I'm walking across lines, and, and I'm just sort of making it up as I go. So when the Bible talks about sin, that's what it's talking about. Now, for the next few moments and the rest of this talk, we're going to go exploring in the book of John, uh, 1 John, and we're going to see what God has to say about coming up short. got to tell you this, two of the statements are a little bit painful but the other three or four are huge, and they're wonderful. So let's, let's go exploring. First, and if you're taking notes or filling in the blank, here's the first statement. First thing that's going to happen is we're going to get very well acquainted with a big little word. And that word is if. Because John is going to make five statements, and all of them are going to start with the word if. Why is that important? Do you know that if, a statement with if is rarely ever focused on God, almost never does a statement say, if God, then this, because God never changes. So consequently, you don't have to put a conditional clause in there. But you and I, are, we fluctuate. Our behavior changes. Sometimes we're on the right side of things. Sometimes we're on the wrong side of things. So God is going to say, if this, then this. Hey, if you're taking notes just for fun, I know this is, a, this is just, just like a cute exercise. Just write a statement. If X, then Y. Because in all five of these statements, that's what we're going to see. If X, then Y. Here's why that's important. X is always a variable. Y is always a constant. So every time we're going to look at if our behavior is this, then this is a constant. Now, the problem with our culture today, we want to think that the first, we want to think that X is a variable and Y is a variable, but it's not true. God is saying, Mark, if, if this is your behavior, this is your outcome. I was uh, thinking about something that happened in politics. Back in 2009, there was a rising star in the Republican Party. He was the governor of South Carolina. His name was Mark Sanford. And there were people that were saying he might just have presidential aspirations. When all of a sudden, it was a huge news story. He just disappeared. I mean, for days, nobody knew where he was. His staff didn't know where he was. His wife didn't know where he was. He just disappeared. You know, if you're like being considered for presidential politics, you don't just go off the grid. But he did. You know where he was? And the interesting thing, he had, he had become a congressman and governor on morals and a godly platform. 
You know where he was? He was in South America visiting his mistress. And when it came out, blew up his family, he nearly got impeached as governor of South Carolina. It was a scandal. Of course, he's back in Congress now. <laughs> you know Washington. <laughs> I, I don't tell that story for any other reason except for this. His wife, Jenny, is a great leader in her own right. And I believe she was being interviewed on CNN. And they had four wonderful sons. And the, and the interviewer said to her, asked her, what do you tell your sons? And I heard her answer, I never forgot it. She said, I told my sons, you can pick your sin, but you can't pick your punishment. If X, then Y. X is a variable. Y is not. That's what Jenny Sanford was telling her sons. So we're going to see that several times. Now let's look at the first one of those X's. <clears throat> And right now we're going to go into chapter one. The verse that we're looking at in verse eight says, if we claim that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Now, let me just, the spoiler alert, okay? We're going to look at two verses that sound very similar. Similar. Right now we're looking at 1 John 1, 8 that says, if we claim we have no sin. And then in a moment, we're going to look at another verse that says, if we claim we haven't sinned. This is kind of dry, but please just hang with me for a moment because it's really, really important. When the Bible talks about sin, it's talking about two things, really. First of all, it's talking about a disease that we have within us, a propensity, a proclivity toward doing wrong. Nobody had to teach me to cheat. Nobody had to teach me to lie. I found out it was convenient on my own, at least at first. Nobody had to teach me how to be envious. Nobody had to teach me how to lose my temper. There is a gravity inside of us that pulls us toward doing the wrong thing. You have it, I have it. The Bible calls it sin in the sense of a disease. And then when the Bible talks about sins, it's talking about symptoms of that disease. The things we do wrong, the things we don't do right, the acts, the words, the attitudes, those are all manifestations or symptoms of the disease that is inside of us. So what we're looking at right now in this first statement, the first if is about the disease inside of us. The second statement we'll look at in just a moment is about the acts of sin. This is, maybe this will help. We've got a lot of young families here at New Spring. Can't wait to open up our new nurseries in a couple of weeks or so. We have so many young families. Now, here's the deal. A lot of you have small children. Uh, you, you come home and your kid's got rash. He's got red spots on his chest and face and arms. And you say, oh my goodness, my kid has spots. I'm afraid these spots are going to give him measles. You don't think that, do you? No, because the kid doesn't have measles because he has spots. He has spots because he has measles. So when the Bible talks about sin and sins, we're not sinners because we commit sins. We commit sins because we are sinners. And I have, I'm that, and you're, we're, we're broken. We're broken in the box. So here's what this first if says. It says, if we claim we don't have a problem, if I claim I don't have a sin disease, I'm pranking myself. I'm just fooling myself. But that'd be silly. I mean, I know I've got a problem. And so that's what the Bible is saying. And here's the deal. This is what's funny. It's not funny, I guess. It's just interesting. The further you are away from God, the more you're in the darkness, the more you don't realize you have a problem. The closer you start getting to being in the presence of God, you realize just how much you have a problem. 
there was a hospital, I can't remember the name of it, but they were having compliance issues with hand washing with their, with their doctors and medical staff. And they had to reach a 90% threshold to retain their accreditation, but they, they plateaued at 80%. They couldn't get any higher than that. So I think Dr., uh, I believe his name was Liam Bender, who was the head of the hospital, he decided on, on, a, on an idea to get everybody's attention to see how, how much bacteria were on the hands not being washed away. He had all their medical leadership participate in a test where their hands were placed on an agar plate, kind of a petri dish, and they were cultured. And when the slides and the pictures came back, it was horrible how much bacteria were on the hands of these caregivers. And he took the absolute one, worst one, the one that was just wretched with bacteria, and he created a screensaver so that everybody in the hospital, when they fired up their computers, they had to look at that. <laughs> Instantly, their compliance rate went up to 100%. What's the story about? Our issue is worse than we think it is. And that's why the Bible is saying, look, Mark, if you say you don't have a problem, you're fine. God is saying, you're fooling yourself. Now, the second statement, we kind of prepared ourselves for it already. And this is in uh, 1 John 1, verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, now we're talking about acts of sin or attitudes. In other words, if I say I didn't do it, if we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Here we go. To deny specific acts of sin is to call God a liar. Now, is it, is it possible that we would do something wrong and say, I didn't do it? I mean, we all know people like that. I mean, haven't you been around people that you knew they did it, everybody else knew they did it, but when they were called to account, I didn't do that. Well, that's crazy. I don't think that would be most of us. I don't think it'd be our problem. Our problem might be more along the lines of, I don't think it's wrong. I did it, but I don't have a problem. I don't see any problem with it. If God's a loving God, he should know that we all, are, you know, we all, we all screw up. <laughs> you guys too young a church to remember Richard Nixon. He was the president who had to resign in disgrace after winning the biggest landslide in American presidential, uh, presidential history. Watergate. He was being interviewed by David Frost later. Some of you, even though you're too young to remember Nixon, you might have seen the movie Frost versus Nixon. And in the interview, Nick Frost asked Nixon about something he clearly did wrong that was illegal. And Nixon said, if the president does it, it's not illegal. Now, you and I shrink back at that. But that is within each of us that we want to say, if I do it, it can't be wrong. If I want to do it, it can't be wrong. And God is saying, it's one thing to say I don't have a problem. We're just fooling ourselves. But God is saying, if we say that we didn't do wrong, when God says we did wrong, it's like flipping God off with both hands. And God is saying we're calling him a liar. Okay, well, I'm so glad that we can just like turn around right now. Because the ifs are going to turn positive. You know, the first two ifs, if we say that we don't have a problem, we're fooling ourselves. If we say we didn't do it, then we're calling God a liar. But now, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be for us, people who are saying, yes, I do have a problem, and yes, I've done, i got a rap sheet a mile long. Okay, here we go. Here, here's some good news. This is the next if. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. What's the this? It's the book of 1 John, everything we're studying right now. John said, I'm writing it to you so that you won't do this. But if... Anyone does sin, 
We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, and we're going to look at all these things in just a moment. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Four huge things there, but here is what it all adds up to. If we fail, we have the one thing we need more than anything else. We have legal counsel representing us in the court of heaven. This is really cool. Because when you and I sin, we're under indictment. And we're standing before a holy God. And he's going to call us into account for it. And so here I am. I've done something wrong, which I do every day. And I, I'm in court. And so, you know, I have my, one of my closest friends of all time, he's in heaven now, was Paul Clark. He was the longest serving judge here in Sedgwick County. One of our deacons. And I don't know that I ever had a better friend in my life. And I used to go have lunch with Paul. And he would be, usually be trying a case, and I'd always get there kind of early, and sometimes there'd be a little briefcase there right before lunch, and, and there would be the prosecutor, and he'd, he or she would be there representing the county or the state. And then I always look for that moment, up would come the defense attorney, and he or she would say his name and say, I'm here for the defense. Now, when you and I sin, what happens? Those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus. Boy, we're standing before the bar, we're indicted, we're guilty, and up steps Jesus Christ and says, Jesus Christ here for the defense. That's pretty sweet, isn't it? I mean, when we do wrong, here comes Jesus. Jesus Christ here for the defense. The second thing, though, that we see is that he is truly righteous. Why is that important? Well, let's say for a moment that I came to you and I said, hey, I know you do some stuff wrong. I do some stuff wrong. I'm your pastor. I love you. I'm going to represent you in heaven. So you step up there. You're indicted. And I step up and I say, Mark Hoover here for the defense. And God is like, I don't think you passed the bar here. I don't, you're, not, you're not qualified to practice law. You're a sinner. You need representative yourself. I'm sorry. You have to get out of the... Lady, if this is your lawyer, you're in bad shape. No. See, Jesus is truly righteous. So we're indicted. We're in the court of heaven. We've sinned. Upsteps Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ here for the defense. And God looks down and says, well, all right. You're qualified. Third thing. The Bible says that when he is our lawyer, he also brings the payment for our fine. Because his blood has been shed for our sins. So not only does he step up to defend us, he is there with the payment ready for whatever we've done wrong. And not only that, he's been willing to absorb it on his own personal record so that it's not even on a record. Man, this gets sweeter and sweeter, doesn't it? But it doesn't just say that Jesus Christ is there for the defense. And it doesn't just say that he is the one who is truly qualified. And it doesn't just say that he's brought our fine. The Bible says that he is available because his sins, the sins of our, us have been forgiven by his sacrifice, not only ours personally, but the sins of the whole world. Do you realize that Jesus is available for anybody who will retain him? Why would anybody push Jesus away? Because we're all sinners, we're standing in the court of heaven, Jesus Christ here for the defense. I brought the payment with me. I'm qualified to defend him. And oh, by the way, I am here available for anybody who wants to retain me. That is awesome. Now, as we move on to the next thing, somebody could say, well, how do I get that representation? I don't see him advertised on TV, so how do I, how do I get this representation? Look at this. Here's, number, here's the fifth thing we're going to look at. All we need to do is turn ourselves in. In 1 John chapter 1, we have what a lot of Christians would believe the greatest verse in the Bible. And now you're about to own it if you don't own it already. 1 John 1 9. If, there's our X, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. That's a short verse, but it tells us the one thing we must do, the two things that Jesus is, and the two things that he does for us. We'll get them real quickly here. All we have to do is confess. Now, if you came from a traditional church background, it could be that that word's a little freaky to you. I want you to know what the word confess means. Again, there are two Greek words that are butted together, and you, you got to get them. The first word is homo, H-O-M-O. The second word is lego, which means to speak. Homo means the same, to speak the same. So if I confess my sin, I am saying to God the same thing that God says about it. You know, here's the thing that I discover. My temptation is to say, God, I did wrong, but, you know, Mary Alice kind of provoked me to do it. You God, I did wrong, but you know, I you know, I just wasn't having a good day. And God, I did wrong, but this and but that and the way I was raised and now that's not confession. Confession means God, I lied. I'm saying the same thing about it you say about it. God has no need to indict me then, because I've indicted my own self. The Bible says if we confess, if we say the same thing about our sin that God says, then the Bible tells us two things. God, first of all, is faithful. That means he can always be trusted to do what he's about to promise to do. And secondly, that he's fair. That means that he's the same for you as he is for me. And his, his justice is pure. He doesn't just sweep it under the rug. He absorbs it on his own record and pays for it. So if I confess my sin, if I say the same thing about my sin that God says God is faithful and he's fair to do two things. First of all, to forgive my sin. You know, sometimes I think we don't understand the fullness of what God's forgiveness is. If we did, it would just blow our minds. Really, there are three things that God does when he forgives our sins. The first one is his attitude as though we have never done wrong. You know how it is? Especially if you're married, you can do something wrong and just that, you just sort of feel that chill, right? Things are not right. Well, that can happen to us if we sin against God and we just don't take it seriously. God, God just sort of like pulls back a little bit. But if we confess our sin, he forgives us. The first thing, his, his attitude is back right to us again. This next one is amazing to me. Forgiveness means that he takes our sin away. One of the most common things people have said to me through the years is Mark, I believe God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. You know what they're telling me? My sin is still right here. I have to look at it all the time. I ask God to forgive me, but it's right here, and it's accusing me. Do you understand that when God forgives you, he not only, his, his attitude towards you is not only like you never sinned, he takes it away. That's why it's so important that we confess every day our sins to God. You don't need to confess them to me or confess them to anybody else. Just confess them to God. I was reading this week about an apartment manager who had tenants that never took out their trash. And it was horrible. I mean, they were there like two years and never once emptied the trash. And finally, it was just so wretched and so horrid, they had to be evicted. And they had to bring in pros. They, they brought in a 40-foot dumpster to take all the stuff out of that apartment to get it just even close to being repaired and renovated for the next tenant. Now, when we hear that, the first thing we think is, Wow. That's terrible to do that to that apartment. But I want to ask you a question. What must it have been like to live there? You and I know what would happen. They started with a big apartment, but the more trash began to build up, the more they began to be confined and eventually to a corner. There are Christians today, true Christ followers, 
but they just let trash build up in their lives. They never go to God. They never get right. They never feel right. They never have God's peace. They're always feeling indictment. They're always feeling under condemnation. It's because the trash is building up in their lives and they never take it out. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us. His attitude is toward us like we never sinned and he takes it away. And then finally, he cuts the penalty so that we don't have to bear it. That's what it means to forgive us. And then, one more word. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. To wash us. There's a verse in the Bible that I want to share with you. And actually several verses. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. The Bible says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheap. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Look at this next statement. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, not that you figured it out, but that you were cleansed. You were made holy, not that you became holy, but you were made holy. You were made right with God. By what? By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our Lord. Do you realize that inside the family of God, people do and have done the same sins that people outside the family of God have done? Are we better? Are we superior? Not on your life. We've just been cleansed. This is a problem that I have with our culture today. God has been kicked out of our culture. And consequently, when the entities, the, the mainstream entities of life cannot fix what is broken, they say it can't be fixed. But God is able to cleanse. Well, I can read the clock. I got to hustle. There's one more. One more if. First John 1 7. But if we are living in the light, that's the truth, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Here is the amazing thing. We've gone in an odyssey starting with we do wrong, we are broken on the inside, and here is where we're ending up. Through Jesus, it is, total, it is possible to be totally innocent. We start guilty, and we don't just wind up acquitted because every once in a while we see somebody get acquitted and we think they actually did it. But we don't just wind up acquitted, we wind up innocent, cleansed. I know, I'm sure I've told you this story before, but uh, I've been pastoring since I was 20. And when I graduated from college, I left my, my hometown of Fort Worth and went to a church in Houston that was in the inner city. And I was so young. I didn't know it at the time, but I was. And uh, the pastor of that church was very frail, and so I just wound up almost having the whole responsibility at a very young age, but it was an inner city church and Houston at that time was a murder capital world, dangerous place. And I used to walk the streets of Houston at night and talk to people and the church people would beg me, they, they, they thought I was this dumb Fort Worth kid that came to Houston, didn't know any better. They'd beg me not to go out by myself, not hear gunfire. I wasn't scared. I could keep you here for hours telling you stories of what God did. And, and I gotta be honest with you, those were the things that shaped me. Those were the things that built me to to be what God allows me to be today. And there are so many stories that are very special to me because as God began to shape me and gave, give me a vision of what the church was truly supposed to be. Uh, one night after service, 
I got a phone call from a lady in our church, and she said, our, our next-door neighbor is drunk tonight, and he's, he's saying awful things, and his wife is terrified. She doesn't know what he's going to do. She says, anyway, you would come out and visit him, talk to him. And I said, sure. So his name was Roll, and uh, I went to the trailer park where they lived, and I remember walking into the mobile home, the living room, his wife was there. She's crying. She's distraught. I introduced myself. I said, I'm Mark Hoover, and I named the church I was from. And, and uh, I said, uh, I'd like to talk to your husband. She said, well, he won't talk to you. He doesn't, doesn't believe in God. And uh, she said, he's drunk, and he's out of his mind. He won't even remember tomorrow. And she said, uh, I don't think it'll do any good. And I said, well, I've come all this way. Is it okay if I just try? She said, you can try if you want to. Strange. I have a hard time remembering stuff two weeks ago. I was 22 years old. I'm going to remember it like it was. I can tell you what the room looked like instantly. I walked in there. It was a disheveled, soiled room. Smelled bad. He had thrown up on himself. He was, his face was to the wall. It looked like a bag of unzipped laundry. He's curled up in the fetal position. And I came in. I said, Raul, my name is Mark Hoover, and I came to talk to you about Jesus. He said, I don't want to hear about Jesus. And I said, I know you've got some problems going on right now. But I said, Jesus can help you with problems. And I said, whatever you've done wrong, he can forgive you. He's still talking to the wall. He said, God can't forgive me. And I said, why do you say that? He said, well, I'm a Harris County Sheriff's Department. He said, you've heard of police brutality? He said, that's me. That's what I do. He said, every day. And it was, those were tough days in those days. You just almost had to be in Houston. I mean, I remember one night, we had 13 murders in one night. It, it was just, and he said, I, I, and he said, you hear of police brutality. He said, that's what I do. He said, God can't forgive me. And I had this verse that I'm giving you right now. I had 1 John 1, 7. I said, Roll, the word of God says right here that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. And he said, well, he can't forgive me. He was Hispanic. He said, the reason why he can't forgive me is he said, I abuse my own people. He said, there are people in Houston that come. They're not in the country legally. Nobody cares about them. He said, I keep a rubber hose in my car. And he said, I beat my own people. And he said, I've abused my own people. And he said, God can't forgive a thing like that. And I said, to him, I said, well, if I were God, I wouldn't forgive you. But I said, the word of God right here says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son cleanses us from all sin. And I said, if you're willing to get out of that bed and kneel here beside me, you can pray and God will forgive you. And he, in one motion, he rolled out of the bed and landed on his knees. Still don't know how he did that. And he and the drunk guy and me, we knelt down by his bed, and he gave his life to Christ. I didn't think he'd remember. I sort of forgot about it, really. Happened early in the week. Next Sunday, I was up on stage, and people were kind of coming in late that day. And they were, so they were coming in and populating the auditorium. In walked this magnificently beautiful family. They were all, as we used to say in Texas, dressed to the nines. But the guy was the one who caught my attention. I mean, he had on a black, perfectly pressed Western suit. He had on a white starch shirt with silver tip collars and a bolo tie. Had his black hair slicked back. Looked like he was running for senator of Texas. And I thought, where did that family come from? I've never seen them before. He came in and sat right here on the second seat. In fact, we were still worshiping. He was standing up, and I looked down, and he looked up at me and did this. And I thought, my word, that's raw. See, here's the thing about it. I baptized him that night. When God cleansed him, he wasn't what he was before. 
And that is what the Christian life is. It's not that we're better than anybody else. It's just that we're in the light and we see we have a problem and we see that we do things that are wrong and we come and we stand in the court of heaven. We have Jesus represent us and he takes our sin on his record and he pays the price for our sin and I walk out of the court of heaven forgiven but not just acquitted but cleansed so that I am not the person I walked in as. That is the Jesus life. Now, if you're here today and you say, Mark, I finally figured it out. It's not the religion that I've always thought. How do I get into this relationship? You just simply ask. I mean, hey, all you got to do is retain Jesus. He wants to be your lawyer. Let's bow our heads for a moment. If you're here today and you just say, Mark, I want to invite Jesus into my life. I'm going to, I'll lead you in the same prayer I led we're all in. How about that? Would you pray with me? I'll pray it slowly. You can decide if you want to say this to God. Dear God, I am a sinner. I'm broken. But I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. Would you forgive me and make me your child? In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, I have a gift I want to give you. I know we're crowded, South Auditorium, North Auditorium. All you got to do is go by any info center and just say, I prayed with Mark. I have a gift. It won't cost you anything. Nobody will hassle you. I've got a Bible like I preach from. There's a book I wrote that's going to answer a lot of questions and some cool stuff. Just say, I prayed with Mark. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next weekend.